Hey everyone, welcome back to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. As always, this is John <laughs> and this is Tony with John. Um, that would be interesting if you just went with that and see if anybody's paying attention. That yeah. would be a really good like kind of like a Nielsen ratings type thing, get a gist of who's paying attention out there. <laughs> yeah, I want. Yeah, that's a... Anyways, this is Tony, the other, the other dorks, John. Um... Yeah, well, here we are. It's Tuesday, September 27th, and it, you know what? I think basketball is back. Um, training camp starts today. Media day was yesterday, and, you know, we're inching closer to the start of that season. Um, I think it opens up on the 19th, October 19th, against Portland, or I think it's the 19th, right? Yep. But um, I, got I got it. Yeah, we're, we're getting so close, uh, less than a month away, and... I don't know, John. How you feeling? Uh, what's going on with media day? What's going on with training camp? I mean, it's. I think for any sport, any team, media day or the kind of beginning of whether it's training camp and basketball or football or spring training, whatever it is, there's always that extra pep in everybody's step. And uh, I think it was interesting about this particular Sacramento Kings media day and you know as entrance into training camp today. Uh, is that there is a discernible shift in confidence. And we knew that there was, a, you know, obvious uh, additions and improvements to the roster and arguably to the coaching staff. I mean, we'll have to see its results uh, based to league. Or, uh, uh, and, and that kind of matters for a team that hasn't made the playoffs. And, you know, well, you know the deal. Um, so it was interesting to kind of hear the common themes of confidence up and down the roster. Uh, people talking about healthy competition. That's the way Terrence Davis put it. Um, you know, these things that everything seems to be centered around the things that you absolutely want um, going into camp. Things that, frankly, haven't really been the case in past years. Um, you're looking at a situation where this is a, you know, roster that, is it competition wise? I mean, you have certain competitions for roster spots at the bottom of the roster, but a lot of it is it's it's a mix of different, varied, and uh, very good talent that Mike Brown and his staff is going to have to figure out how that mix is going to work, what it's going to look like. And, you know, it seemed like last year, like for example, you kind of knew what the roster was going to do. You know, I mean, what it was going to look like. I mean, you had a you had like six guys that you just knew were not going to they were either not going to be on the team or, you know, um, they were going to be at the, you know, inactive level of the roster. And then you also had guys like uh, people that kind of ended up sticking around. I wouldn't characterize them necessarily as that like, you know, Damian Jones, Chemezi Metu, say what you will especially Damian Jones has really proven he belongs in this league. But at that time, it's not like a situation where it's like you had the most experienced guy that's proven that he has found his footing in this league necessarily. And, you know, you also had, you know, Tristan Thompson for all the vocal leadership and experience that he brought last year. It's like, you know, he entered the years, essentially the backup center. Right. And it's just like, we, you know, there, it just, 
you could just see how much more dynamic the roster is and just how the the questions that need to be answered regarding rotation and whatnot is completely different. The way you think about it, the way it's going to be answered. Again, it's not necessarily it's, – it's about how things are going to mix together. There's just so much in the pot right now that's good. And I guess that's probably the best way to put it. It just seems like you're just trying to figure out pieces. You don't have so many gaps, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on that um, in last week's podcast and how, like you said, we're, you know, guys aren't coming into camp like with a, not like, not even really fighting for a roster spot, but like in years past, like Jemias Ramsey, Robert Woodard, like guys like those, they had, they were given roster spots on this team because, you know, there was no other competition um, against them to make a roster spot. And it kind of just shows you like, the, the the difference going into this year where yeah you know for that 15th spot you might have you know like a Chima Moneke, Casey Akpala and Sam Merrill fighting for that but it's like you know you know those are guys who have to prove it in this league for sure and Sam Merrill and Casey Akpala at least have some NBA experience but you know those are like three solid guys I would want fighting for my 15th roster spot another point about those guys yeah I mean out of two of the three, Sam Merrill has no connection to Mike Brown. Mike Brown knows the other two. It's not like like Mike Brown is coming into this knowing basically everybody. Like all these, uh, you know, Della Vadova and uh, I don't know what. Uh, he's got this connection to Della Del Vadova, but I'm trying to remember. Is there a connection with Cook? Um, uh, I, yeah, yeah, with he, the Warriors. With the Warriors, of course. Yeah, duh. And so, like, he knows all these guys. He knows, in, you know, he knows Metu and, and all these other fellows that were in the, the playing for the, all these fellows, these guys, these, <laughs> these men that are playing for the Nigerian national team. I don't know. I'm talking like it's the 40s. But, um, you know, like, he knows these guys. There's not question marks. Like, I don't know. What, some of those guys were rookies last year. Just, like, complete, like, or, or you know, one year of experience under their belt. Just like you're not even sure what you're evaluating, but it's like he has a head start, and that's another kind of theme of of this kind of uh, this this mood at camp, I guess, you know. And um, it's just that, like Darren Fox said it, um, like aside from the guys that were playing in EuroBasket, a lot of the guys have been at the facility over the last month playing pickup games, and they're mm-hmm. gaining chemistry, and 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 they've been in the facility, and they're figuring things out, and you know. There's just there's like a head start there in in regards to the chemistry, in regards to the evaluation of talent, and just I guess to go back to comparing between last year and this year, it's like what we said last week. Think about Metu standing. Metu is far less secure, I think, this year. I mean, it's not like he was a hundred percent secure. It's, you know, he wasn't really he didn't get playing time initially last year, um, but you know, this year he's like we said he's f- kind of maybe further on to the edge than than we initially think. I mean, he definitely has a chance to be in the mix at power forward without a doubt. But can he do that? I don't know. We'll have to see, which is kind of a common theme also as like training camp starting today. So we have really nothing to go on as of right now. But, um, you know, going forward, we will. And hopefully we'll be able to answer some of those questions. But, you know, these are the kind of the the themes at camp. And it's – it's it's good, and I mean, like you're seeing confidence, like I said, from all over the roster. I mean, Rashawn Holmes sounds really confident. He was asked about whether or not he can coexist with um, Sabonis on the floor, 
he said, we're basketball players at the end of the day. You know, we're going to figure it out. We're both really good, you know, is essentially mm-hmm. what he said. He feels really confident about, you know, all the things off the court and the injuries, the thing with the eye, the, I think, COVID setbacks and whatnot last season, just kind of disrupting any ability to find a rhythm last year. Um, he also said, like, that off-court stuff doesn't really bother him, but it's like, I think one of the things you learn pretty quickly is that when athletes talk about things, especially of that nature, they're very rarely telling the, the like the entire truth. Like it probably affected him. You know, he's just he's he's a, he's an athlete. He he takes pride in what he does, and he's not going to make excuses. Um, it probably definitely did affect him. So he's radiating with confidence, and even all the way down at the end of the uh, you know totem pole, for lack of a better way of putting it, Chima Maneke. You know, he referred to himself as probably the best cutter in the world, which I mean, like we've mentioned that, like that's one of his strengths. Um, And he just he sounds very, very confident and everybody in between. And it's just I don't know if you want to touch upon any of that. There's just kind of throwing it out on the page there. No, I mean, all of that's awesome. Something that you did say and uh, I think it's awesome is when Fox said, you know, like, People called their summers early and, you know, reported to Sacramento to get those pickup games in, get that practice in. And, um, you know, especially for Fox, who I mean, he's I think he is the biggest question mark for the success of this team. You you have Sabonis, mm-hmm. but Sabonis is proven. He's a two time all star for a reason. Like Sabonis, you're going to expect like pretty good numbers next year. Right. I, I don't know exactly. He might average 20. He might average like what he did last year, 18 and 12. But, you know, that's somewhere in there. Yeah, you're right. But I could see him averaging 22 anyway. um, But it's Fox. He's the big question mark. I think the the success of this team is really going to be dependent on how, you know, quick Fox get or, you know, how hot Fox starts off the year. Um, You know, and we've known that in the last several years, Fox starts off really poorly. um, And it just, you know, sets the Kings way behind. And we saw that last year. He was just struggling especially with Halliburton in the lineup with him. Um, he just he just couldn't get it together. And, you know, he finished off the season very strong. But, um, you know, there's reports that he came in, you know, out of shape and came into the season last year out of shape. And, you know, and I, I think he took that to heart. And he, you know, working out, he brought – did he did he ever bring uh, Luke Lox on the his honeymoon? Lux, Lux, I don't really it? think I, – I don't think Mike Brown was 100% serious when he said that. No, they were <laughs> – But I'm sure – Were I, no, they I think, serious? No, yeah. I, 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 I'm just taking it from the introductory press conference for Brown. But it's like at first when he said that, I was like, oh, that's weird. And then like I listened to it back and I was like, oh, it sounds like he's joking. I think – I thought he was joking, but it, what did you hear? Um, I thought there was like a photo. Um, yeah, no, right. There's a photo. It's a, it's in <laughs> Italy. Oh, he did. Darren okay. Fox and wife, uh, working out with new Kings assistant coach Luke Lux on their honeymoon, honeymoon in Italy. So no, like he, they were serious. He, Luke Lux went to Italy with Fox to <laughs> work out with Darren on his honeymoon. And right. You know, and his 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 new wife sounds awesome. You know, she's a former basketball player, and um, I think you said she met Lux at like a athletes to coaches camp or something. Like, yeah, like a clinic or something for like yeah. college athletes transitioning to coaching afterwards. Yeah, and so she seems very supportive of you know 
his goals and you know she knows the heat that fox got so um it's just you know you're you're pointing to so many connections that fox has in and on and off the court here and you know you just throw malik monk in there too i mean yeah he talks about how he talks to him every day now he gets to see him every day they've been just like flash throwing flashy passes passes nobody would expect or see in some of these pickup games we're talking about um he he just seems totally bought into it and he mentioned that about everybody um i think it's interesting i don't want to read too much into something he didn't necessarily say but he did say that he feels like people have bought into this like what, what we're doing that people are excited and i think that that's code for like like he is and like whether it was like him being a young player early on and you sometimes that can be hard. Maybe that's an issue for a young player to kind of adjust at the beginning of the season. And then like you're talking about, there are other issues. Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's another really talented and promising point guard on the roster. You have like COVID issues and disruptions to kind of like preparation. And um, he added the weight, like you mentioned last year, there have been like, specific things that you could kind of point to i mean granted he there's it could still be that he's a slow starter we'll have to find out but it seems like he's really showing that this is really different for him in a lot of ways and again he'll have to prove it because you know he has made such a bad tendency of such slow starts um and i think you're 100 percent right that he is like you're gonna get a good idea of how the kings are based on how fox is and if he can do it start to finish and re- remain relatively consistent and healthy, you know, man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess an interesting question um, that I think about sometimes is I'm like, okay, what are the chances the Kings have two all-stars this year? I'm like, that's not like getting two all-stars is tough. The Kings just probably want one all-star. That'd be enough. Who do you think it would be, Fox or Sabonis? And don't even take into account the fact that maybe Sabonis has a little bit of an easier path because the point guard situation is a little like tougher, I guess. Or maybe we'd say like guard is like a more dense, you know, position in terms of making it into the All Star team. But take that out of the equation. Just like who do you think is like going to be that guy? Like if you really had to like pick. I think it'll. I think it'll be Sabonis. I don't know. It's not like you're you're trying to team yet for a fox, but um, I think it'll <laughs> yeah. still be Sabonis. I I, I just think uh, Sabonis is so good, and sometimes like those, what he does, it's just it's not flashy. He's not like Fox, where he's like you know probably gonna pop off for thirty five, um, you know, once every other week, which I hope Fox can do. But Sabonis, like that eighteen and twelve, it's not like exciting or anything. But, um, you know, he does it efficiently, and I really hope he can average about, like, five, six assists a game this season. I, I think him and Fox are really going to share that assist load. Because, you know, you kind of want to see Fox as a point guard, as an elite point guard in this league, um, to average, like, eight assists at least, right? Like, 7.5 mm-hmm. plus. But with Sabonis on that team, like, I mean, we all know the offense is really going to run through that guy. So, I think... I want to see, honestly, Sabonis and Fox average, you know, 10, 11 assists between the both of them. Um, I think, I mean, that's why I think Sabonis will get it. I think those assist numbers, if he's averaging above five along with 18 and 12, that's a pretty good stat line. I think you're right. But I think just on the the assist thing, it's just in such a pass-heavy offense, everybody's going to be, 
I mean, I, I just I can't imagine Fox getting more than like seven. I would honestly think that he'd get it somewhere in the six range, six to seven yeah. a game. Just because I think like when I don't know, maybe I'd have to look it up, but I don't know what Steph Curry's assist totals and I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying as the point guards of teams that are going to be very pass heavy, like when when Steve Kerr came to uh, Golden State, if I'm not mistaken, like Steph Curry was kind of in that range. Um, but, you know, on the question of which one would be a all-star, uh, I agree with you uh, that it would be uh, Sabonis. Um, and I think one of the things that'll kind of make that super obvious is that if the Kings are playing well and they're winning games um, and you're talking about one all-star going, Sabonis is the best team rep because he makes everybody around him better. He's the difference maker, you know, and he just he, he would be such a good representative of a team that's doing well. Got to get there first, but I could totally envision that. But for the sake of the argument, Fox being an all star and again, like it's more likely that Simonis is going to be an all star over Fox, but it could be, you know, Fox would have to the way he closed out last year, Simonis trade to his injury. Um, he'd have to do that for, you know, from October to February um, and hopefully onward. But he'd have to do exactly that, which would mean not only scoring 28 a game, but hitting threes, playing defense, being the leader of this team. And, you know, I think he can do most of those things. I think the big questions are the three-point consistency and the the defensive consistency. Um, Everybody knows that Darren Fox is low in the analytic stats for defense, except when he plays really, you know, uh, tough competition. Um, so I've noted this with Kev, uh, with, uh, with Herter, um, is that Herter has a way better defensive, uh, rating in the playoffs. He, he actually puts out highlight clips of his defensive play in the playoffs. Um, and in the regular season, he like, he has his moments. He's like, I always say he's, Still probably a two-way player. He's so good offensively, and he's pretty solid defensively. But he's, like, not great, you know? But in the playoffs, he can be. And it's like, if you, especially with Mike Brown running things, if you can just get people to buy into that, um, that could be a big thing. And I think that could really affect Fox. And, of course, Brown has that connection to Fox from high school. He said he was a dog defensively when he saw him. So he's just got to get him to buy into that. And, you know, we're just talking about how – bought into the system and how bought into this team and their chances Fox seems and how confident and locked in he looks not looks but sounds we don't really know anything as camp's just starting but you know like there's definitely a path to Fox being an all-star but I think you're right I think chances are that Sabonis is um would be the guy yeah and honestly I think it's either they're both going to be all-stars or neither of them will be all-stars. Cause fair. <laughs> unless, unless one of them puts a ridiculous stat line out, but I think more realistically for the Kings to have an all-star is that the Kings are going to have to prove that they're one of the better teams in the league. And for that to happen, both Fox and Sabonis will have to go on a tear, right? I mean, it's the load's going to be on their back. So if the Kings are doing well, and that means Fox and Sabonis are doing well. And that means, you know, it, I mean, if they're like a fourth seed, I, I mean, that's that's crazy, right? We'll say like even sixth seed, which is still crazy. But 
man, it's like kind of what you have to do to become an all-star in this league. Um, you have That's to be on true. a winning team. So, I mean, it goes hand in hand. It's in lockstep. You're totally right. Yeah. So they probably, I, it's almost, honestly, I think you could betting odds would probably be no all-star. Yeah, probably. I would bet no all-star this year, maybe next year, a little different, but mm-hmm. you know, I, there's always surprise teams every season. There's always like, you know, like the Timberwolves last year, look what they did. They were, they were a pretty good team that was, you know, on par with the Kings for being like one of the worst run teams for a while. Um, you know, they, they made some moves in the recent years, but I mean, look, look what the Kings did. You know, the Timberwolves traded for D'Angelo Russell, um, lot or a couple of years ago. Right. And, you know, drafted well on Anthony Edwards and look where they ended up last year. Like they were a solid team, made the playoffs. Um, Look at the Kings trade for an all-star and Sabonis. Draft a guy like Keegan Murray. Have Davion Mitchell coming into his second year. You know, Davion Mitchell's no Anthony Edwards, but I don't. You know, he's just a couple moves away, just like the Timberwolves were. And you know, you can argue that the Kings are you know looking at the uh, potentially the same season of what the Timberwolves did last year. Was I think it was the guy from the 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 two guys from eleven forty. I forget their names, but they they were Dave. No, 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 not Carmine. I would remember that, but um, uh, uh, oh, Cattles. Jason Ross, was it? Oh, Nick Cattles. Yeah, and uh, his his partner. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't listen and, to that one. But, ever. but I caught a little bit of what they were saying, and you know, they were talking to Davion Mitchell, and they were like, you know, this is interesting because this is Monty McNair's team, and like we've mentioned that before. It's an obvious thing, um, and one of the things that you're seeing is it's not only is just like, is he getting like this kind of shooting oriented team that can move the ball and run the floor and maybe even have the tools to put together a good or a solid, or at least I guess you would say a better uh, uh, team defense uh, overall. Um, But the big factor is that with the changes that he's made and just the draft picks that he's, been able to make it's just like this team is oriented towards guys that especially you know as james ham has made note of guys between that 24 to 26 age um you know like uh fox and herder and monk and all these uh, all these guys i think sabonis is 26 um it's these guys that are not just young still but they're about to step into their prime they're about to step into their late twenties, you know, like that is that, that moment where hopefully, um, I, and this is what Kevin Herter said, um, at, at a media day was that, you know, you're hoping that you can kind of get into that prime and like you add that to the fact that, you know, all these guys want to win too. It's just, it's, it can become a perfect recipe. And that is such a conscious decision by McNair. And I know he made note of that in, um, might have been the press conference for Monk and Herter, but you know, like some of these subtleties, yeah, you, I don't know if it's not the name on the Twitter account anymore, but I think it was for a long time in McNair we trust. And I think that this is at least going into it. This is definitely one of those things where hey, this deserves a lot of credit. I think, um, of course results will play out, but you know, what do you think? I mean, like you said, the name of the Twitter was in McNair We Trust. Um, and I've been, you know, I've 
been telling everyone just trust McNair. You, you can just tell, you know, even after like that Halliburton uh, draft, and then especially after that Davion Mitchell draft, it's just like okay, like granted he didn't make a lot of like big like free agency moves or really even any trades until that Sabonis trade. And yeah, it's, it's a little hard to jump on the McNair bandwagon, but it's just like, you know, he, he didn't do anything wrong. He made the right picks, made the right moves. You know, he didn't make any bad trades. Um, he didn't, you know, sign any bad contracts or anything. So um, I knew it was just a matter of time. And, you know, and he didn't rush it either. Like, of course, you know, everyone wants stuff rushed. And that was, you know, the issue going back with Vivek, he wanted to win now. And, that, you know, that just kept setting us back every time. So, I mean, it's been, it'll be McNair's third year. We've waited patiently. And I honestly, you know, we might need one more year into, until we really see the King's full potential. But, I mean, they've, the team he was given, and and then looking at the team right now, it's night and day. Um, and it's awesome to see. Um He's just going to continue just to make the right moves. And I mean, I, he's he's going to get extended. There's no way he doesn't. Even if he doesn't make the playoffs this year, there's no way this guy doesn't get extended. Um, I don't know if there's been any more talk surrounding that. I haven't heard anything, but McNair's yeah, the he guy. Would, he wouldn't comment on his contract status at, at Media Day. Wouldn't comment on it. Which is, I don't know. Like, what are you waiting for, Vivek? Like, you're not gonna get any, you're not gonna get a better guy than this at the moment. He's he's just very smart, very calm headed. He's just like I said, he just makes he's like Trey Lyles on the floor. Just makes the right <laughs> move every time. <laughs> uh we can talk about Trey Lyles in a second, but um just to kind of piggyback, I mean, I guess just to kind of close up um on this kind of McNair this being McNair's team and whatnot. Um first of all, to like there had to have been some period if, with him taking over Vlade Divac, which was basically, you know, Vlade, a combination of Vlade Divac and, you know, Vlade, uh, Vivek Ranadive, um, essentially, and all sorts of hands on the wheel type things. You know, there had to be a period for McNair to be able to kind of untangle the cords, you know? And everybody's got AirPods these days, but you know what I mean. I think yeah. that's an expression that still makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finally, you know, I guess you could say he waited for his pitch or not. Maybe he felt pressure or whatnot. I don't know. But he made some pretty good moves, and it's definitely going to be interesting. We don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be interesting. And I think you're right to say something that it's like nobody should definitely have their hopes up that the Kings are going to make the playoffs. The chances that the Kings are one of the top six seeds that have that secured playoff spot is very, very low. I mean, that's very difficult. You're talking about superseding very good teams with very, very good players. And that's just tough. But can the Kings be one of the play in teams? Yeah. I mean that's a that's a there's a there's a very realistic chance of that. Like you should definitely I mean like and then you can become a playoff team that way. But I mean, you gotta make the play in first. I mean there's definitely like legitimate uh reasons to think that can happen. But like you said, you might need an extra year. And we're talking about guys that are twenty four to twenty six. One more year, one more year closer to their prime or further into their prime. I mean, that can be one year sounds like, oh, man, you know, I want a year. Wait a, wait a year, man. That's 12 months. I don't want to wait that. But it's like they could come back and be so much better. Like the improvement could be ridiculous. 
could be insane. And, um, you know, that's just something to keep in mind. And I think you could probably expect, given the talent of these guys, uh, a, a way better season this year. And then going forward, I think you can expect some form of success that you haven't seen in a long time in the next, you know, two to three years. Um, and I think that really has to do with the way McNair set it up. And I, I think I think people can see what he's doing, and it's, it's smart. And it's methodical, maybe a little conservative, at least at first. But once he swung for the fences, I mean, like, you know, things are in position. Um, and speaking of, you know, McNair guys, um, one of the guys that you could – see the, the one of the most recent McNair guys through and through is this year's draft pick Keegan Murray. And, you know, we we're talking about all stars a second ago, second ago, and you're talking about maybe next year. And I said, yeah, I was thinking to myself like, yeah, the chances for next year having an all stars way higher because I think Keegan Murray will be in the mix by that time. I really, I think by that time you'll be in the mix. I don't think you will be an all star, but I think it definitely ups the chances of a potential all star. Um, I don't know if I'm too – I mean, it's, it, a lot of people have a different mix of feelings. They're usually good about Keegan Murray. Um, again, camp starting today, it's hard to see or know what he looks like in relation to the offense and whatnot. But in terms of like what his rookie season is going to look like, can he win rookie of the year? Will he be the third option by this time, by the end of the season? What option is he right now? I mean, like there's just sorts of questions and like – interesting things to think about in the outlook of what Keegan Murray's rookie season is going to look like. Um, I don't know if you wanted to comment on any of that. Keegan Murray. I, I mean, I really like Keegan Murray. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I wanted Ivy initially just, I thought he was the best player available, but I mean, <laughs> after summer league, there's not much room to talk. I mean, it's not the NBA NBA, but you know, like that dude, it's exactly what the Kings need. And if you can do that to a high level, then, you know, awesome. And um, rookies, I'm never really that high on rookies, especially on the Kings. Um, I know this year's a little different, but I don't know. Rookies, it's it's just a different different style of game than, you know, high school and college and all that. So it's definitely like a learning opportunity, a growing experience for rookies. And uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean... I think he'll help. I think he's going to be a good, a decent three-point threat uh, at the four position where defenses have to pay attention to him. Um, I don't know if he'll be like a game changer. I know you're, you're talking about him maybe becoming the third option at the end of the year, and I, I can see that if everything goes well with him and you know he doesn't really have those those rookie yips, I guess, like uh, those growing pains that a lot of rookies do, but... I don't know. I, I tend to keep my expectations for first year players a little low, but next year, like, of course I'm going to expect big things out of him. He's the fourth overall pick. And, you know, based on what we see this year, um, of course that's going to show what I'm going to be expecting, but you know, I, I, I expect good things. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm not giving a very, a very direct answer. I'm kind of dancing no, around it. No, I think you're you're <laughs> I think you're being very uh you know, you're being very prudent uh, about how you go into this. And I think 
you're kind of, I mean, you're right about rookies. I mean, I think the one thing that's a little different about Murray is it's like, we kind of, like one of the things that people said about him consistently going into the draft is it's like, oh, you know, Keegan Murray's ceiling's not very high, but he is one of the more NBA-ready players. What he does, his maturity level, all these things, he's right up there with Paolo Bencaro, and he proved that in Summer League. And it seems, you know, based on um, reporting that uh, a lot of GMs and scouts felt that way too, that they were realistically actually just number one and two in terms of the draft board. And, you know, you could probably factor in, I think ceiling obviously factors into guys like Holmgren and even uh, uh, Jabari Smith, just because they they could in a cup, like those guys are a little bit more projects and they could definitely springboard into being really special players. Um, whereas you kind of, you can, you can, you can really see the makeup of the structure of how Murray and, and Bancaro can play in this league. How they execute is obviously the question. Um, and how high they can go in their careers is another question and that are not worth answering, which I think is part of what you're saying. And I would just say, though, that it's just like there's the experience thing and also just like, you know, the factor that, like, I guess in terms of like being the third option, wouldn't necessarily be like him clear like oh he's averaging 18 points a game like i don't know like maybe like 13 points a game in a mix where maybe like harrison barnes is scoring like you know 15 or 16 and herder is scoring somewhere in the mid 10s range you know there's gonna be like a mix of scoring options so maybe that's not even like the real question is the third option it's just you know like what's a realistic stat line for keegan murray i guess Downey. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I had I was on mute. Um, I think a realistic stat line w- would be like around thirteen and six, thirteen six point five. I don't know, you know, as a stretch, as a stretch four, if he's gonna, you know, get into the sevens and eights and rebounding, maybe into the sevens, but maybe not as a rookie. But um, kind of going back to the question, you know, you asked me his realistic stat line. And then you asked me about rookie of the year. Like, does that sound like a rookie of the year stat line to you? And no, it really doesn't. It's nothing special. And so I don't think, I think Keegan Murray's really good, but I don't think he'll win rookie of the year. If he was on a different team where he'd be more of a focal point, you know, a team rebuilding, a team with not, you know, expectations like the Kings where play in playoffs are the goal, then sure. Like, I think he could be rookie of the year. I think he has that talent. I think he's one of the better players in this draft class. But it's kind of like Davion Mitchell last year. Davion Mitchell's stat line, you know, to end the season, it wasn't anything impressive. It wasn't crazy. But if you start putting his, like, per 36 or when he started starting full-time towards the end of the season, his his numbers were just as good as, um, you know, the top rookies out there. I, I can't remember... Who, did, who won Rookie of the Year last year? Why am I blanking? Scotty Barnes. Yeah, Scotty Barnes. And Scotty Barnes was really good. I mean, he deserved it. But, I mean, if you look at, like, Jalen Green and those guys that were picked one and two and, you know, things like that, he was – when he started starting consistently, just like these guys got to start all year, I mean, his numbers weren't far off. And you could have made the case that he was a – I mean, you couldn't have made it 
on what he did, but if he if he did start all these games and you know have the same minutes and role as these other rookies, then um, I think he could have been right up there in the conversation. I, but I think that's going to be Murray's problem this year is that he's going to be good. He's going to be a solid player. Um, my, again, my expectations aren't high, but I expect him to hit the three ball consistently and be like a threat on the perimeter right. and play good D. I think he's like, I want to see him has a, a, like an already established role player. Maybe not like a star, you know, maybe a star in the making, but just like a good role player right up, right from the get go. Right. And that's what I expect from Murray. And I and don't I, think, yeah, yeah. What were you going to say? I think, I think the one thing I forgot to say there was it's like, it's also not just being NBA ready, but it's like the, the fit with the Kings, like this Kings, t- he's going to fit in for the reasons that you're saying, like he'll be able to, you know, shoot when the ball comes to him. He runs the floor well. He can contribute on the glass very well. He's a really high effort, high intensity defender. Um, he does all the things that you know Mike Brown would want to see. What you'd want to see along Fox and Sabonis. He, he, there's, there's so much that plays into, you know, what he has to do. And he doesn't. And you know, I think it's going to benefit him. I know. You do make a good point. His stats are not going to be exceptional because he's not going to be a focal point. He's not going to be on a team that's essentially tanking or not doing very well at all. And you're basically the primary scorer as a rookie and you're still figuring things out or whatever the deal is. It's not like that at all. And um, But it is a situation where the carpet is rolled out for him to just have that like plugability. And I think that could benefit him, especially if he's not that focal point where he just... He's going to get open looks. He's going to be able to cut, and he's so good at that and, and whatnot. Um, that I think I think, I think he really does have a good chance to win Rookie of the Year for those reasons. And just the fact that, like I said, NBA-ready, high maturity. Um, I think it's important to – that transition period for rookies is tough. And I think it, he's, he's got to prove that that isn't going to affect him to such a significant degree. Um, it's hard to tell. But I think your point is well taken and you're being very realistic and I could see that being the case too. Absolutely. But yeah. Well, yeah. and just to, just to reiterate my point one more time, I'm, it's going to sound like a broken record, but I think Keegan Murray, um, I expect him to have a rookie season like Tyrese Halliburton had just like, you just, you looked at this guy and you're like, this is a guy who's going to be good in this league. Um, very mature you know, right off the bat. And, um, you know, probably, I, I don't, like, I think Halliburton ended up third in Rookie of the Year voting behind LaMelo and Anthony Edwards. But again, that's because his role wasn't that of Anthony Edwards's in Minnesota or LaMelo's in Charlotte. They were starting right off, you know, right from the get-go, and Halliburton was coming off the bench to Fox. And, you know, his role was a little limited. He was still ended up third in Rookie of the Year voting, but, um, you know, he you can even argue that Hal Burton might have as good of a career as those two players. But um, that that's kind of the I think that's the rookie season that I see for Murray. Just a very mature guy, going to do his job really well as a rookie. Um, and yeah, just look like he's going to be someone in this league. Yeah, and I think you know Davion Mitchell, despite not having a great statistical rookie season i think if you watched him last year saw the progress he made made the way he closed it out when opportunities opened up for him you know uh that was a you know a good rookie season i think 
Keegan Murray can add an element of statistical efficiency. Um, but I think you're right. Um, it'll be interesting. But just transitioning now to Davion Mitchell, um, it's such a different situation for him, not only in the fact that he's going from year one to year two, which is such a difference, um, but, you know, there's no Halliburton. He's number two in the point guard situation. And like we were just saying, when he either was opened up, he started playing better when his role was clear, when it was, and his role was more like, you know, prominent. When he was able to take over the starting role as the point guard after De'Aaron Fox hurt his hand, he played so well. <laughs> and it was great because it was at the end of the year, he was able to build confidence and kind of figure out how the league works and whatnot. And it's just, it seems like he's put himself in a position already to build consistency in year two, which was a problem in year one, as it is for a lot of players. Um, but, you know, he also has the external factor of the role and how, I think how much Mike Brown's going to favor him because of his defense. I think he's going to be able to play a lot and and I think that benefits him. And I think he, he, he usually thrives when the role kind of expands, at least recently, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, he, he was up with like the top rookies in the rookie class year, last year when, he's, when he was starting. Um, his role this year will be interesting. He's back on the bench, and I mean, he was always that backup point guard because Halliburton and Fox were starting together. But I think his, you know, he's a he's a workhorse. He's been working hard this offseason. You know, he has. Um, you know, and it was very promising to see the end of his season too. The shots started falling a little more, like you're saying. And um, you know, I, I it's weird to it's always hard to I don't know. He's he's like a backup point guard. I, I don't know what my expectations for him are going into next season, just because it's like, well, what do you expect from a backup point guard? But I think, you know, I think the X factor and we all know is his defense. And that's what's really going to that's how he's going to make his name in this league. I think he's going to be solid. You know, he's a he's a good um, distributor, facilitator. And um, hopefully he can hit his three point shots a little more consistently this year at a higher clip. But it's that defense and that's defense is going to earn him, you know, those closing minutes. And, you know, like I said, make his name in this league because of it. So. I think I've said this before, like Davion Mitchell, I think his goal should be to make one of the all NBA defensive teams this year. Cause you know, he has that potential in him. He's going to have more minutes in him this year. Um, I mean, he can do it. So might as well go for it. Yeah. I, I think that, that that's definitely fair to point out. And I think it's also important, not just to say that he's, arguably probably the best defender on the team, but he's making it a point um, uh, of emphasis to be a vocal leader on defense. And I think he noted the fact that like when Sabonis got there, it's like Sabonis is a communicator on the court on both ends. And that, that made such a difference on defense. And for a guy that's not super physically talented on the defensive end in terms of Sabonis, not really a rim protector, not super quick laterally um but he plays smart and he's a communicator and he can help make his make guys better um with his court awareness and you add that element with davion mitchell and it's just like 
I mean, all the things that can branch off of that, both what he can do and the guys can do around him. And in terms of like facilitating a Mike Brown defense, um, that is going to be huge. And I think that that could definitely put him in a position, um, you know, to do exactly what you're saying. And I think that's definitely the goal for him. And with the work ethic he's got, he could definitely do that. I mean, I don't really expect any transition period with the the defense. The offense is more of a question mark. We'll have to see what he does in camp. The big question is kind of like, what is he going to be able to do? Is he going to be able to hit threes consistently? How's his form doing? I know he was like altering things throughout the year. Again, he's a rookie, but you know, can he find that efficiency and from scoring all over the floor? And, uh, you know, I guess we'll have to see on that, but that defense is going to make a huge factor, make a huge difference. And like you're saying, he's playing himself into a lot of those closing lineups, especially if the Kings have a lead or, or, or mostly in the lead, you know, um, defense is just as important as late game shots, a stop, a late game stop. You know, you have to have a late game stop in combination with a late game, uh, backs, uh, bucket. You know, those things have to go hand in hand. So I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, Mitchell, I mean, hopefully he can, I guess it sounds like, you know, be a good two-way player, really. I mean, he has the defense in him. Um, you know, he's not going to be so much of a 3 and D guy because as a backup point guard, you have to do more mm-hmm. than just 3 and D. But, um, you know, even if he can just, some you know be a good facilitator and then you know play alongside fox and i think i've said this in the past on podcasts like him and fox can play together and just you just throw davion on the better you know the better opponent on defense so you can save fox's energy for offense and then you um you know and you just throw davion in a corner or you know at top on the wing and if he can hit those looks it's just, you know, it's going to make the world a difference. And, you know, that's what the Kings did this year. They went out and got shooters and Monk and Herter. And, you know, Davis is still on the team. And he's proven that he can be, you know, a good three-point shooter. And, you know, Davion Mitchell, you know, he has some competition. If he's, if that three's not falling, falling, I mean, yeah, he's still going to get those backup point guard minutes. But, you know, I don't know. It, it goes both ways. Like you said, like, yeah, you need you need shots to stop. But, um you also need to. Can you hear that? Yeah. Sorry. I have, my open. <laughs> I have my window open, and I think a little kid just rode by on a bike. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I was saying, and what you were saying was that you need at the end of games, you need you need stops, but you also need to hit shots, and it's it's going to be an interesting, you know, predicament for Brown if. Davion Mitchell isn't hitting those shots. It's just going to be a lot better if Mitchell can shoot. Definitely. He's, he's shown he can, and let's hope he can continue. Yeah, consistency is key. But I think what you're talking about with that, you know, ability to guard the the better um, offensive threat alongside Fox and give Fox essentially more of a break on defense. Um you know, we talk a lot about who's going to start at the two. I, there, I, I still think Herter's like the guy, and he could very well start all 82. Everything could work out great. But, I mean, like you might see maybe something, maybe a guy's coming in real hot, and Mike Brown knows. I don't know. I don't want to, like, come up with some crazy hypothetical that's never going to happen. But, like, it, wouldn't, it, it won't be crazy injuries, matchups, different factors play into things. It wouldn't be crazy to see 
Davion Mitchell start a few games along Fox. Is that crazy? Um, for that very reason no. that you're talking about, to, to be able to slow down and stunt a guy from the beginning, you don't want to have to bring him in off the bench and try to slow him down at halftime after he's already dropped 30 on you or whatever in the first half. Um, I don't know. Didn't Brandon Ingram drop like close to that? I don't know. I'm yeah. thinking of the game last year. But uh, yeah, it's just like you need, you know, specifically for that guard position, if Mitchell can do that. I mean, that can make a huge difference. And with such a defensive-oriented coach, you know that's going to happen probably. Yeah, and I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, like platooning guys kind of like in baseball, left field, right field, second base. It's like, yeah, we need – this guy's going to play second a day for the matchup, you know, lefty versus righty. But, you know, I mean, the Kings are guard-heavy. And the most of their – most of their, um, you know – talent is at those guard positions. And I mean, I, I think Herter is, and we've said this already, he, he's going to probably, probably be the starting shooting guard, but I mean, yeah. And you know, what if Herter goes cold or his defense isn't as good as we thought, or Monk's just on fire or you need a stop and you need in Mitchell's, you know, continue continuing to play his good D. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think we're going to see a lot of, changes at the shooting guard throughout the year. Um, I think it will mostly be Herter, but I don't think he starts all 82 games at the shooting guard position. And mm-hmm. I think some of those minutes of starts might go to Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And I think a few guys have already referred to the fact that it's like the lineup and the rotation is still very much in the air, up in the air. Um, I think, you know, whether it's that, guard position or whether it's even the power forward position like it's not a lock that keegan murray starts um necessarily i think like herder i think it's a pretty good chance that you're going to see that um you know the fox herder barnes murray and sabonis lineup that's definitely the favored one but it could really be anything and with the rotation the closing lineups i mean those are all supplementary questions that are very fascinating and you know Again, it's just like talking about competition being a theme here. And, uh, you know, you've got to love a second-year player like Davion Mitchell adding things in the mix there. Um, You know, maybe to zoom out here in kind of closing. um, I know (laughs) another theme of this podcast has been the fact that we don't know anything because training camp starts today. We don't have a very good idea of what guys are showing initially. But, um, you know, it's always fun to have a little premature kind of like power rankings, um, especially when so much is riding on this year, it feels like. Or there's just so much excitement around this year, I guess you would say. You know, it's, it's interesting to think about power rankings. I know that Mark Stein did one like two, a week or two ago. And, uh, you know, he had, the, uh, he had the Kings at number 21. Which, you know, maybe you can tell by that number. It's like, okay, that's an interesting place to put him. And again, we don't know a whole lot. But he did list that uh, he had Portland, Los Angeles, the Lakers, uh, Chicago, and the Knicks ahead of them. 17, 18, 19, and 20. And, you know, I'm not asking for like a full 30-team power rankings, but just kind of addressing that. Um, are the Knicks better than the Kings? I mean, I don't know how the Knicks 
are better than the Kings. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think the Kings are more of a high teen team than a low twenties team. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. I couldn't name you the, the worst teams than the Kings off the top of my head without looking at something, but no, the Knicks aren't. You can easily make a case the Kings are better than the Trailblazers. Um, but yeah, the Knicks, I, I don't know. They, they signed Jalen Brunson. I, I can't believe that was such a big storyline. Maybe because it was they were signing a backup point guard for so much. And I know Jalen Brunson's no ordinary backup point guard, but it's not like he's going to be like an all-star next year or anywhere close to it. I think he's a good player, but I don't know. That's... They're all riding on the narrative that, like, oh, he's away from uh, Doncic now. He's going to tear it up. We'll have to see. Um, But I think think that's the thing is I think you can make the argument they're better than the Portland Trailblazers. I think that's where the conversation is. I don't know why. um, I mean, and also, I don't know, maybe maybe because the Bulls have some very talented players, individual players, like maybe you can make the – argument that the bulls are better than the trailblazers and the kings i don't know i'm not making that argument the east and i mean the west is um you know obviously got a lot of talent in it um but i think that conversation is more about because i i'm maybe in the lakers too because it's like those three teams that's a big deal what happens with those three teams portland sacramento and los angeles it's just like i'm not saying you have to get high on the Kings before the season starts. But, you know, I do think that they should be at least above the Knicks there. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's, that's <laughs> I don't know. It, it's a rank. Yeah. It, and and know, I still it, believe it, that Russell nothing. Westbrook, I still believe that Russell Westbrook <laughs> can make uh, things difficult for the Lakers. I don't know that the Lakers are going to let him sink their season because he can definitely sink their season. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting that he's still there. I don't know if he's going to play or see the floor, but I don't know. Not like I'm not betting on. I'm not necessarily betting on Los Angeles having everything ironed out as they hit, hit the floor in October. You know. But, yeah, I mean, it's nothing to bet on, really. It's you saw what happened last year. Yeah, he's and seen. again, Westbrook's still there. Mm-hmm. Just questions all the way around, but it's just like I don't know. It's like you're just asking us to talk about that by saying the Knicks are better, and they probably do. And here we are talking about it. <laughs> you know? Watch the watch the Knicks win 48 games. You know, Jalen Brunson's an all star. You're just gonna be eating our words. Episode 26. There's you know, <laughs> gonna be mocking write it down. us. Yeah, Let's write it down. It's Number 26, Kent Bazemore. Oh man! Now Kent right. Bazemore's wearing twenty four this year now. Oh, taking oh. Buddy's number. I saw okay. that on the roster chart. Oh, well, never mind. First yeah. stint Bazemore. Did he yeah. win twenty six? Yeah, he was twenty six with the. I think with the Lakers too, or I don't know. I think he's usually. 26. But he was twenty with he was twenty when he started with the Warriors, and then I think mm-hmm. he was wearing twenty six most of his career, with like Portland and Sacramento and. All those teams. Kent, well, you know what? While we're talking about Kent Bazemore, and he's not like a hot topic or anything. Um, he is with I me. S- oh, okay. I see a lot uh, on social media, you know, no experts, no um, like verified sources. 
saying these things, but, um, you know, people are having the discussion and who's going to get cut from, you know, the training camp to make the, the 15 man roster. A lot of people are saying Kent Bazemore is going to get cut. I, you know, and these are just guesses, um, you know, from Kings fans. I, I personally don't agree with it. You don't have another backup small forward and he's really your only guy. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts? Is, is Bazemore pretty much a lock in your eyes for to make this team? Um, he's close to a lock by default. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> experience. He, he brings a lot to the bench. Um, but he did have a terrible year in Los Angeles and he is, you know, the oldest player on this team. Um, so like he's got a lot of questions to answer before anybody just says, yeah, he's going to be the primary one behind Barnes, uh, you know, uh, accumulating minutes. Um, now we talk a lot about the fact that they have a lot of depth at shooting guard and that the six, nine wingspan on Terrence Davis, you know, he, he can, they, they can fill in and even Keegan Murray, um, was talking about him as a power forward. You know, you can't necessarily rule him out playing more on the wing. I mean, like, I guess they could kind of back up by committee in some way. You wouldn't want them to do that. You'd like to have a dependable person. And I still think Bazemore can be that guy. But there's questions. To see him get cut, I think, you know, you'd have to talk about our boys, Casey Akpala or Chima Moneke or even Sam Merrill, like, tearing it up. Like, proving that, like... And like to prove in training camp that you deserve backup minutes behind Barnes, which also entails cutting Bazemore. I mean, that's kind of like that's a little close to a pipe dream. Not impossible. Um, those guys are confident. Like I said, uh, I don't know if I caught anything from Casey Akpala, but um, you know, Maneke, so much, so much confidence, referring to himself as the best cut, one of the best cutters in the world, or the best cutter in the world. You gotta love that, and uh, but you'd really have to see them actually perform. Um, it's Bazemore's job to lose, but he still really has to prove that he can have a bounce back year. That's a big thing, and you know we're talking about kind of how this Kings team seems to be kind of like building momentum and chemistry and stuff even before camp starts, and you know I think Bazemore is kind of a part of that, and um, so. You know, we'll see. And I think the experience and kind of the team cheerleader type aspect of him and locker room presence, that'll definitely play into his favor. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if he necessarily gets cut, but he's got a lot to prove. I definitely think that. And I'm, I, I don't, I think that's the biggest question on the Kings roster easily. Like without, a, without, a, without any doubt in my mind, the depth behind Barnes, which it seems pretty consistent because it seems to be a consistent concern. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see. It's definitely, you can also say that having Bazemore coming into camp despite the season he had last year is still pretty much better than seasons past, the situation, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is Bazemore's job to lose. I mean, even after his poor season last year with the Lakers, I mean, he, he's an experienced NBA veteran at this point in his career. Um, he's proven that he can be better, and he's a year removed from having a decent year in Golden State where he shot the three ball pretty well, wasn't like a liability anywhere. 
Um, That's important to point out. He had a great, and it was a surprise that he, you know, I mean, didn't stick around there, but go on. Yeah, and yeah, he he wanted a better opportunity to win, so he went to L.A. He he leaves Golden State to <laughs> he goes to L.A. because he thought he had a better opportunity to win there, um, which is funny. And uh, <laughs> and so you know, um, I just, you you need you need that guy behind Barnes. I say it a million times. I've said it a million times because you do. Barnes gets burned out really easily. Um, and, you know, Bazemore's done it before. Not first time doing it on the Kings either. He's, you know, he's been Barnes' backup in the past uh, a couple times, really. Um, once for the Warriors and once for the Kings. And, um, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, Akpala or Maneke really have to prove that they can, can you know, not be a liability in their 15, 20 minutes that they'll play a game. Um, as Barnes is back, maybe even less. I can see Bazemore averaging more around 15 minutes a game um, mm-hmm. with a mix of Herter or Davis at the three at times. But I, I think Bazemore will make the team. Um, and, you know, just hope he has a better year than he did last year. And he's he said he's excited to come back. He loves the fans here. And um, I think he said that he even wanted to come back, but it didn't work out or something. Or, Anyways, um and no. just one more thing. I mean, like, I'm kind of one of the more, like, skeptics on Kent Bazemore coming in this year. But one of the things you do have to give him credit for in relation to Herder, Monk, and Davis is he could probably – he's probably the best defender out of them. I mean, like, he, True. At, his age, at his age, you know, he, he might you might see some decline there. But I think, like, he can be the best defender out of those – out of that lot of four um, since we're talking about a situation where – you know, like we said at the beginning of this, this is a big mix of talent. It's going to be interesting to see how all these pieces work out. And even it kind of like the lines blur between positional lines. And that's just kind of the, that's just the way it is in the modern NBA. And so that's kind of another good sign of this team. But Kent Bay is more, you know, we'll have to see. But, you know, it'd be surprised he gets cut. And this is definitely a better backup going into camp than we've had in recent years. Yeah, it really is, but um, I don't know. I'm running out of time. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts on this? I think that's it for now. I mean, we'll have to see how training camp plays out, and we'll definitely delve into that as stuff comes out. So, you know, stay tuned to the to the podcast and to the articles and to the to the uh, other stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, just you know, keep checking in. Unfortunately, we will. Have to skip next week's podcast. I'll be on vacation. Won't be able to make it to, you know, a mic. But, um, you know, we'll still have our articles coming out and we'll jump back on it the week after. So that's it. You know, I appreciate everyone tuning in and listening to us. Uh, You know, this is King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. Until next time, have a good one.